welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Today on Calls from the Clubhouse, I get to chat with my old friend Brian Kane. Kaner is a number one international best-selling author and one of the world's foremost authorities on mental performance. His mental performance training strategies have been used by thousands of elite performers and top athletes worldwide, including in industry-leading companies like Burton Snowboards and Fuddruckers, UFC world champions, multiple NCAA national champions, and hundreds of athletes in UFC, NBA, PGA, NFL, NHL, and MLB. Let's welcome Brian to the podcast. All right, we're here with Brian Kane, longtime friend of mine. Uh, it doesn't seem like 15, 16 years, but it is looking back now. It's amazing. Thanks for coming on with me, Kaner. Brownie, thanks for having me, man. I'm fired up to be yeah. here. And I do want to get nostalgic with the first question. Can you just talk about Ken Revisin and what he meant to you and, you know, where you're at now, just what he meant to you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, if it, if it helps, I've got his face tattooed on my heart. So I don't know if that, if I need to go any further, but yeah. July, July 4th, 2000, I pick up the book heads up baseball at a Barnes and Noble, read the book, go back, send him an email. Next thing you know, he's got me a coaching opportunity in the Cape Cod league in 01 with Katuit. And then I'm out at Cal State Fullerton two and three. I'm a grad student of his, checking his email, getting him sandwiches like a TA. I mean, you name it, I'm doing it. I remember going to his garden and picking weeds and he's Yoda talking to me and I'm taking my notebook and writing things down and pulling more weeds. And it was just the best opportunity you I ever could have had. And, you know, when he passed away in July of 2018, I wrote a blog post called the KR70. And I remember, you know, sitting right there in, in my, on my bike in my gym at the house crying and every mile I would ride, I would get off and I would write down an idea or something that he, he had shared that had stuck with me for all these years. And you know, that that's available. If people just go Google Brian Kane, KR 70 or Ken Revisa 70, they'll see those 70 thoughts and ideas. And, you know, I feel like it's my duty and responsibility Brownie to be able to take the torch that he lit inside of me and give that to other people and inspire them around mental performance and sports psychology. And to have the opportunity to sit down with you and the ABCA today and talk about that uh, is important to me because it, for me, I feel like I'm helping to spread Ken's legacy and carry that torch. And uh, he's the first guy I called when I proposed to my wife, I asked him to be the best man at my wedding. I got his face tattooed on my heart. So has he had an impact on me? What do you think? Yeah. What is the biggest difference between for peak performance in 2020 as opposed to 2005? I think the use of technology. I think the, uh, the use of technology, both in a positive and a negative way, you know, and I, I don't think anything is positive or negative until you label it as so. You know, I like to stay neutral. I think when we ask people all the time, hey, how many sides to a coin are there? And they say, well, two, heads and tails. So there's always three. There's the rim. You can stand a coin on its side. So I always try to take a neutral approach. And there's good and bad with social media. There's good and bad with, with the coronavirus, you know, and looking at uh, the ability to connect with a large group of people, the ability to group, connect with your team using technology now has increased the ability and the reach for me where I don't have to go to campuses anymore. I do my coaching 30 minutes every week on Zoom with my teams and with coaches. So I get more frequency of contact with them, which is far greater than me going to a campus for like we used to do at Iowa, where we're going like two or three, 10 straight, 10 hour days, two, three days in a row drinking from the fire hydrant. But then I necessarily don't maybe see you or hear from you for a year. Yeah. And now the 30 minutes every week or every other week has been the best use of technology. And I think the best way to do this mental performance coaching. So that's a difference between 2020 and, and, and 2005. And I also think just social media and the amount of pressure, the amount of comparison. And we know that comparison is the thief of all joy. And I think the comparison trap that people fall into looking on Twitter and social media, Instagram and seeing people's best days because no one posts their days on Instagram exactly. or Twitter. It's always their highlights. And then when you play the comparison game, I think that leads to depression. I think it can lead to anxiety. And I see that a lot more. When I was doing this in 05, it was about, hey, let's talk about routines and confidence. 
And now it's a lot about mindfulness, anxiety, and depression. And if I can go down this path a little bit, yep. Oh yeah. I think in baseball, the thing I see with a lot of players, you know, and I'm, and I think, you know, Brownlee, I may sit down with more college and high school baseball players in a year than any person talking about mental performance just by the name number of teams that I'm working with and sitting down with those players one-on-one, you know how it is at Iowa, I'd come in and we do team and staff and I'd sit with every player. And the biggest thing I've seen is that where the root of depression comes from is people being obsessed with the past should have, would have, could have. And where the root of anxiety comes from is people being obsessed with the future. What's going to happen, especially right now with the Corona season, right? What's going to happen in the future? We have no idea, but if you can, call it discipline yourself, train yourself to just be where your feet are. And it comes back to being in the present moment, one pitch at a time, but for life, if you can be where your feet are, that's where optimal performance comes from. So even in 05, there was a challenge of staying present. There's a challenge of staying present in 2020. I just think it's a different stimulus. That's the challenge. And I put that in my notes just with the amount of, of Zoom stuff that you were doing a lot of this stuff before. So you you were kind of built for for withstanding something that was going to happen like this because you were doing some technology stuff and, and meeting with teams this way before anybody else probably was doing that. So I think you've you've built yourself to be able to handle something that that's like this. Now, what are some of the similarities between now and, and what was going on in, in 2005? Well... Similarities, I think, are the importance of one pitch at a time, the importance of present moment focus, the importance of, as a coach, understanding that relationships and leadership are going to come before championships. And how do you invest in that leadership? How do you invest in those relationships? And I think those are still paramount. I think athletes dealing with the mental challenge of the game of baseball and being able to control the things that you can control. I mean, the content and things you know, Ryan, that, and I'll call you Ryan, I'll call you Brownlee, I'll call you Brownie, I'll call you Whatever Brownie. you want. You know, the, the things, Ryan, that I'm teaching in 2020 are very similar to the things I'm teaching in, in 2005. That's just way more streamlined and way more organized. I feel like I've been able to take the mental game and evolve it from being in the clouds and putting it in the dirt. And in the clouds is, oh, we're doing the mental game. And the dirt is, the mental game is 10 skills that you develop. And if I can go here for a second, if you think about baseball, we do drills to develop skills. A collection of skills makes what we call a skill set. So a shortstop's got the skills of lateral movement, arm strength, and command of the infield. Those are all skills, lateral movement, arm strength, command of the infield. You do drills to develop those skills. Together, those three skills, amongst others, make the skill set of a shortstop. So when we look at mental performance... I used to go in when we were at Iowa and I would talk about, here's the drills we're going to do. But I don't think I was really clear on here's the 10 skills we want to develop. And this is what the skill set of mental toughness is. I would say mental toughness is playing one pitch at a time. Well, you know, one pitch at a time is an outcome of developing these 10 skills. So the 10 skills that you want to develop to have mental performance mastery. And I cover all of these in a, a baseball masterclass that's coming out this week. If you go to briancane.com slash baseball, I roll you through all 10 of these what I call the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery. It's a free masterclass. And it's number one, having an elite mindset. An elite mindset is essentially, I don't have to, I get to. I don't get frustrated, I get fascinated, right? Pillar two is motivation and commitment. And the motivation is what gets you going, but it's the commitment that keeps you going. Pillar three is focus and awareness. Focus on, you know, where is my attention at? My focus determines my future and the awareness is signal lights. Pillar four or self-control and discipline? Do I have the self-control and the ability to be in control of myself before I can control my performance and the discipline to do more of what's good for me and less of what's bad? Pillar five is process over outcome. Quality at-bats, quality pitches, not winning the game, not getting the hitter out, executing this pitch. Pillar six is meditation and mental imagery. Meditation is how you stay in control and imagery, as we know from Skip Burtman in my podcast with him, which was amazing. I'll have to tell that story of him saying everything happens twice, first in your mind, then in reality. We all see the pitch before we throw it. We just don't always do it consistently and intentionally every pitch, but we should. Pillar seven, routines and habits of excellence. That's probably where we spend the most of our time when we work together is on pre-pitch routines and releases to allow you to stay present. Pillar eight is time management and organization. And the one factor, it's the same for every program, whether it's Western Illinois or Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, is 168 hours in a week. And are you maximizing that time? Pillar nine, leadership, which I talk about as your ability to influence and impact others through building trust. And building trust 
comes down to what I call the six C's of leadership. And I wrote a book with Brett Basham, uh, who was my roommate with Team USA in 2013 called The Leadership Clock. And I've now gone another direction to say it's easier than that. It's six C's of building trust. It's having character. It's having competence, knowing how to help people close the gap from where they are to where they want to be, character living with principle. It's the courage to have and hold people accountable and do difficult you have difficult conversations, which requires C number four, your communication. And then you have to be consistent with how you show up every day. And you've got to have connection. You have to build relationships. So those are the six C's of leadership. And that rolls us to pillar 10, which is the right culture. And we know that culture beats strategy. But man, if you have culture and strategy, that's how you win national championships. And you look at Coastal Carolina in 2016, a team who I started with back in 2010. And I remember... And Coach Gilmore talked about this when he spoke at the national at the ABCA national convention, and he said, "2010, we're sitting in a team room. Brian Kane gives every one of our players three post-it notes, asks him to write down one core principle, one character trait of what it means to be a Coastal Carolina Chanticleer on that post-it note. So, 50 players at the time, right? This is before we had limitations. He's got 50, there's three words each. There's 150 post-it notes on the wall." I remember his, his leadership group comes up and they start putting those into categories. And out of 150 post-it notes on a wall, there was probably 60 of them in a category of relentless, baller, toughness. And there was probably another 60 of them in a category of selfless, family, together. And then there's probably 30 of them that were single that were just floating in the middle. And he looks back and he goes, this is it. This is who we are. This is who I want us to be. And this is who we need to be if we're going to come out of the state of South Carolina and have to beat Clemson in South Carolina every year. He goes, we're going to have to be selfless and we're going to have to be relentless. And that's how you get to pillar number 10, the right culture, which is having a mission, a vision, and a set of core principles that dictate your behavior. Alan. Where do you feel like, is, is this where you feel like the next step? You talked about anxiety and depression. Is this where you feel like the next step for peak performance is going? No, I feel like the next step for where peak performance is going is identifying what are the skills that need to be developed to have peak performance. Yep. And instead of talking about peak performance as a general concept, yep. you have to talk about it as a skill set that needs to be developed. That's where it's going. Because it's been in the clouds for too long, Ryan. People just talking about you got to you got to have mental toughness. Well, what is that? What does that mean? You got to have great leadership. No kidding. What is that? How do I do it? Tell me the how. Stop speaking to me and start giving me a system that I can use. That's the difference, I think. Yeah, because I you talked about we have so much information. Why aren't athletes or people in general more more resilient? I mean, that, that's my yeah. biggest question is we have, we're in the greatest age for information. How come people aren't more resilient than what they are right now? Because they, they don't put the information into action. That's yeah. exactly why. Yep. Because in, people think we've heard, oh, knowledge is power. BS. Knowledge is potential power. The power comes in action. You have to go. Do. And to me, that's the difference between, you know, when I started doing this, I was like, people would say, oh, you're a speaker. And I, and I used to take that as the compliment. And now I take it as a slap in the face because I want to be a system, not a speaker. And a system is something that you can go in and you can give people to do the 10 pillars with a definite process and drills on each of those 10 pillars and those 10 skills so they can actually do and develop and stop talking the talk, but start walking the walk. And, and I love following you and, and I've loved our conversations. I mean, you live it. I think that's the greatest thing that, that you live what you're talking about. And I do want to talk about, you know, morning routines, what you're doing, evening routines. I mean, even on Mondays, you do the Murph Mondays and then even maybe some supplements because you and I are big supplement guys. Some of the things that you're doing, because I mean, you're living it, your energy level. You know, I was getting juiced up today because I knew I was going to talk to you. And so my energy level started to get cranked up. You know, can you just talk about some of the stuff that you're do personally that helps you because I your schedule is crazy um you know I can you just give people a little bit of a pull behind the curtain there like things that you do that you feel like help you yeah the first pull behind the curtain is I was a 240 pound fat out of shape high school athletic director who couldn't run three miles and I had the coach come to me one of my mentors Dr. Declan Connolly who passed away in February of 2020 um, he was my mentor at the University of Vermont. So him and Ken Revisa are probably the two most influential people in my life when it comes to coaching. And he said to me, he said, Brian, he goes, you look terrible. You're 240 pounds, got a 44 inch waist. Leaders aren't fat. And he said, you have to have an energy level and you have to take care of yourself. If people who you're going to work with that are elite 
are going to take you seriously. You can't pass the look test because you can't even run three miles right now. And I was like, holy shit, he's right. So I went from 240 and got better processes. I got coaching, you know, gave up alcohol because that's not helping you in any way if you want to get in shape. And, you know, started to have better diet, started to exercise more and got coaching. And I think, you know, people look at like, oh, Brian ran, I ran a hundred miles June 1st, 2019. I did my first ultra marathon. I've done Ironman triathlons. But when I was my hundred days out for my first Ironman triathlon in November, 2016, I didn't own a bike and I didn't know how to swim. I just decided I'm going to figure this out. I'm not going to accept excuses for myself or other people and I'm going to go do it. So what you find is there's a thing in, in a Japanese culture called a masogi. And a masogi is a goal so big that every decision and behavior in your life must align with this goal if it's going to come to fruition. And I've tried to live those masogis, whether it's writing my first book, creating a coach's certification in mental performance or a 30-day athletes program, doing an Ironman, running 100 miles, whatever it is, you have to align with that goal or you're just cheating yourself. So when we talk about AM routines, that's not the place to start. The place to start now is the AM routine. Yeah. Because if the PM routine is off, Ryan, the yeah. AM routine has no chance. Exactly. So it starts with for me, going to bed right now in the Corona season, go to bed at 8.30, wake up at 5.30, and I got nine hours of sleep. I got more energy than I know what to do with, and then I attack the day. And But that's the consistency is that 8.30 in, in bed, uh, 8.30 p.m. to bedtime. But if I rewind that, it actually starts with me around 6.30 to 7, walking my dogs with my wife, going out, and we have kind of what we would call a shutdown routine where we do some soft tissue work, and we get in a hot tub on a cold tank and hit a sauna it's like our recovery time and we do that together and then when i wake up and, and then if i get to bed at 8 30 and i get up in the morning my first thing i do is i get a cup of coffee as i'm making the coffee in the keurig i don't make it i do it in the keurig i call six i say alexa call success hotline she calls success hotline i take out my phone i'm going through my best app on my phone which you got to get which is called way of life and way of life is my success checklist way of life is how i go from talking to talk to walking the walk from the clouds to the dirt and I measure about 30 things I'm trying to do on a consistent basis. Some of them every day, like read Ryan Holiday's Daily Stoic, like take my morning vitamins by Thorn, AMPM vitamins by Thorn, T-H-O-R-N-E. It's the only brand that I used. And then I'll go to, um, you know, did I, did I meditate using the Calm Meditation app? Did I listen to a philosopher's note? Did I, did I run? And I've tried to run three days a week. Did I bike? I try to bike three days a week. Did I lift? I try to lift seven days a week. And I have all these things on there I'm trying to do, including, you know, did I have alcohol that day? Including, did I get quality time with my wife that day? Did I talk to my dad, talk to my brother once a week? Did I talk to a friend who I haven't talked to once a week? So I have all these things that I'm tracking, which are what I call my success checklist. Because it doesn't happen by accident. Yeah. You don't become who you want to be or get the results you want to have by accident. It ain't just going to happen, man. You got to make it happen. And the way you make it happen is through intention. And intention it comes back to what I call the four-step goal cycle, or the four-step goal formula, Ryan. And this is, gonna, this is how you get everything done. Whether you want to become, you want to throw 90, you want to, you want to go from being a high school coach to a college coach, you want to be a college coach who wins a national championship, this is how it gets done, the four-step goal formula. One, set your intention. What are you after? Two, schedule it. I schedule every minute of my day in a 168 plan. I picked this up from Gary Keller in his book, The One Thing, Gary Keller of Keller Williams Real Estate, time blocking. So I schedule every minute of my day. And sometimes they're in 15 minute blocks. Sometimes it's an hour block, but every minute is accounted for. And here's the take home plan tomorrow, tonight, before you go to bed tomorrow, I'm sorry, before you go to bed tonight, know how you're going to get up and attack and win the day tomorrow. Or how, as I would say, dominate the day. You can't dominate the day. If you don't have a plan for your day, you're, if you don't have a plan for your day, you're playing defense, play offense, know what you need to do, schedule it, get it done, be elite. Step three is you measure it. And this is where the biggest thing I think is missing in performance is people measuring their performance. Now, in baseball, analytics are huge. What are your mental game analytics? What are your behavior analytics? What are your productivity analytics? That's why I use way of life. It also helps with confidence because confidence comes from two things, preparation and production. Obviously, the more prepared you are, the more confident you are. But if you produce, and I'm not just talking about getting base hits and outcome production here. We're talking bigger. We're talking life. If you produce on the things you said you were going to do on a daily basis, you're going to have rock solid confidence. So step one, set an intention. Two, schedule it. Three, measure it. Four, reflect and refocus. 
And I think that's probably been the biggest benefit for me, Ryan, coming out of the Corona season is having met a guy that's traveled 250, 280 days a year. I've been home for the last 44 days and I've done a lot of reflection. And in that reflection, it's helped me to do a lot of refocusing. And the question I'm always asking myself on a weekly basis, and this is again, something I have in my way of life that I track with my wife on Sunday, we sit down and we say in our marriage, in our relationship, what are we doing? Well, what do we want to do better? How are we going to do it? The well, better, how process is how I can refocus step four, the four step goal formula. And I also do that for myself. Like when I get done doing coaching calls over the course of a week. So Thursday's the last day I take coaching calls, Friday administrative product development day. And I try to take weekends off now. And in that Thursday night, I'll sit down and say, okay, my coaching this week, what did I do? Well, what do I want to do better? How am I going to do it? That allows me to reflect and then refocus and charge forward with more intention to get better than I was you know, today I want to be better than I was yesterday. And tomorrow I want to be better than I was today, but that doesn't happen by accident, only by intention. How much has the bear helped you? I mean, I, I knew you before you, she was even in the picture. So how much has she helped you, uh, just with your relationship? And then obviously your, your life perspectives, because the thing seems like some things have changed a little bit from a life perspective. Uh, once you met her and, um, just, just talk about that a little bit. Oh man. Uh, then the bear, my wife, Aaron, right. And, yeah. and getting married. How has that changed my perspective? I mean, I think I think it's made me better in every aspect of my life in the sense that, you know, she's supportive and caring and loving. And the, the, I can't think of a better way to say it. She just puts up with my shit better than anybody I've ever met in that she, she understands that I'm, I'm a type a hard charging, hard wiring, willing to kill myself to get something done type of person. And you know, when I, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's a good thing. I'm just saying that's the self-awareness that I have. Right. And the day that I went to go run that hundred mile race, I mean, this, I don't know how graphic I can get here, but I'm two miles into a hundred mile race and I'm calling her cause she's driving the car ahead. Right. So she drives a car like five miles ahead. I run on the road, meet her refuel, rehydrate and go Well, two miles in. I'm calling her going, Hey, you got to get back here. I got, I'm a, I got explosive diarrhea. You got to get back here. She flips the car around, comes on the mic. If I'm getting ready around 100 miles and I got an explosive diarrhea, this is not a good thing, you know? And literally, it was probably every two to five miles, I would call her and say, I need you to pull the car back, pull the car back, pull the car back. 29 and a half hours later, I see her at the finish line. And my fingers look like pickles. You know, my stool's black. I, 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 my gut's out like, like two feet. I mean, I'm banged up, man. Something's off, you know? And she's, every time I told her, I said, do not let me get in this vehicle. No matter what you have to do, do not let me quit. Do not let me get in this vehicle. And she understood that, you know, and she understood what it took to do what I was trying to do. And she was supportive of it. And I think without her support, like with the triathlon, right? I remember finishing the, the, the crossing the finish line on my first Ironman, November 20th, 2016 in Arizona. And I crossed the finish line, give her a hug and we're, we're crying. And, and I look at her and go, damn, that was, so, that was so much easier than I thought it was going to be. And she's like, what? I said, it was easier than I thought it was going to be. And the reason why was I had great training and a great coach. And a great training and a great coach make your tasks that you think are insurmountable way easier. And how many times in your life have you done something where you get done and you look back and go, wow, that was either easier than I thought it was going to be. And that happens a lot. So we can't be afraid to take those risks to grow and do the big things. And then she said, I want to do it. So I walk right over to the smile train tent on the spot covered in salt and sweat. And I sign her up for it, man. And she went and did it a year later. And that's kind of been one of the things that we've done together. So I think, you know, her willingness to get outside of her comfort zone, her willingness to call me on my things, you know, and her to hold me accountable, but also just to be supportive, you know, of I'm sitting in here doing calls and she comes in, you know, every, every odd hour, I try to eat and talk about routines. I try to eat seven, nine, 11, one, three, five, seven, every odd hour. And she'll bring the food in here for me so I can do this because she realizes that, you know, this is an opportunity for me to hopefully light a spark in, inside of some people to impact some people to give back from gifts that I've been given. And she's willing to support that, which has been awesome. So I don't know if I've changed a ton. I think I'm, I'm just a better version of myself in all areas, you know? I definitely haven't become any more patient. That's for sure. And you've moved around a lot and you know, it's amazing because there's so many people out there that probably want to do things, but they hold themselves back. How, how did you get to that point? Cause you have moved and it seems like, you know, I, 
not jealous. Jealous probably isn't the term, but I've I've appreciated the fact that you've bet on yourself. How did you get to that point? Because obviously you probably weren't that way as an athlete. You know, you and I both had struggles as athletes. How did you get to that point where it's like, you know what, I, we're gonna just we're gonna move here, we're gonna move there. You know, you're gonna do what what it takes to to do it. Um, you know, how how have you gotten to that point? Nothing happens until you do. Yep. And, you know, I was a high school athletic director for a long time, for eight years, and traveling every weekend, probably 50 weeks out of the year doing this, and was always like, mm, maybe I should go do this full-time. Maybe I should go do this full-time. And was afraid, man. Was scared to go to make the jump, you know? And I also really liked being a high school athletic director. I mean, I, I, love, being a high, I love being in high schools, the energy, the passion, the kids, the growth, the development, you know, the, the relationships you have with people who you see every day. I wasn't sure I wanted to give that up, and I really loved Vermont but I felt like I was somewhat held back from what my true mission was. And when I got clear on my mission in life, educate, empower, energize other people to be their best. I said, what can I do where I can maximize this gift that Ken Revisa had given me? And it wasn't sitting behind a desk, pushing paper as a high school athletic director, being limited to the walls and the thousand people or 1200 people that were in that building. It was finding a way to get out and, and make a bigger, larger impact. And I think that's why I've been so motivated now with my MPM coaches certification is my goal, Ryan, and one of my big life visions, I talk about your mission is what you want in your gravestone. Your vision is what you want in your resume. And for my vision, I want to certify 500 coaches a year for 20 years. That's 10,000 coaches certified in my mental performance mastery coaches certification program, where I train you like Ken Revisit trained me how to do the work in mental performance as a coach. And if every one of those coaches like yourself, touch 1,000 lives. If there's 10,000 coaches touching 1,000 lives, that is 10 million people's lives that we have impacted. That motivates me beyond belief. And I think, you know, making the decision to move from Vermont to California, back to Vermont, to Arizona, to Texas, back to Arizona, is lifestyle. And what I like doing at the time. And when I moved to Texas, it was because I wanted to draw a hundred mile circle around the DFW Metroplex and take it over. And I wanted to go in there and I wanted to be able to be home doing the sports psychology work that I love driving to schools, coming home at night. And what I realized when I got there, <laughs> and I should have figured this out before I moved there, was when I got back was I had so many great relationships around the country that I didn't want to give up. I was still going to fly to... East Carolina, I work with Giff Goddard. I was still going to fly to Fullerton and work with Hookie. You know, I was going to still fly to Houston and work with Todd Whitting or, you know, all over the country, these programs I was working with, you know, in, in Florida State to work with their softball team and, and Yale lacrosse and 20 to work with their lacrosse team and Oregon State to work with Pat Casey and the Beavers at the time. And I didn't want to give those up. So I was never in Texas long enough to develop those relationships in that 100-mile circle around South Lake Texas. And I found Ironman Triathlon. And I love being active, man. I mean, my ideal day was like this Sunday. I just love being active. And it was like, wake up, work out, go for a run, go play golf, go play pickleball, come home, ride your bike, get in the pool. I mean, it was like seven workouts. You know, none of them really intense. But I'm like, I just, I just love being active, man. I can't beat it. You know, I feel like when I'm active, I'm creative. And when I'm creative, I can then create things that will help other people. So I think where, you know, the, the self-confidence, where does it come from? I'm just not afraid to fail, man. I realized that I realized that the more you fail, the more closer you get to identifying what you want to do, how you want to do it. And that's success. Success is not going through life and never failing. Success is failing so often that you get closer to the best version of you and what you want to do for your life. What have you picked up working with other sports besides baseball and softball? I don't even know where to begin to answer. Dive into it because oh, I, I know you've picked up a ton. I mean, man, I, you know, I've had a chance to work with five UFC world champions. Yep. And being around UFC world champions and, under, and, and understanding the fear that those guys have in the locker room. I mean, they're talking about the best guys in the world. Afraid, fear, and them willing to admit that fear. George St. Pierre says all the time, I'm terrified when I go walking to the octagon, but I act big. I have something to go to. You fake it until you make it. And he's like, if that guy's got fear, then I guess I wasn't messed up when I was a college baseball pitcher and it was like life and death and I had fear. That was normal. But most people won't admit it. Jake Arrieta said this in an article after he won the Cy Young in 2015. He writes down underneath the brim of his hat, ACE, A-C-E, acting changes everything. 
And if Jake Arrieta puts up the best statistical half in history of major league baseball as a pitcher in 2015, and he has to remind himself to act confident, we all do. Confidence is a sliding scale, man. And it's slippery. And you've got to have something to go to, to get yourself into the state that you need to be in. So I think in MMA, that was a big one. Visualization in gymnastics, working with LSU gymnastics or working with golf at Mississippi State or Baylor or TCU or Fullerton or Marquette, wherever. In the sport of golf and the amount of visualization that goes into the pre-shot and trying to get pitchers to see the pitch like a golfer sees the shot, you know, in football just Chad Morris with SMU and then with Arkansas or Tony Reno at Yale, just the amount of structure, the planning that goes into a practice. I mean, the quality and the pace and the tempo of a football practice is so much different than a baseball practice. Then you get into lacrosse and in lacrosse, there's all these things going on. And the best lacrosse coaches, Joe Ampolo at Navy, Andrew Stimmel at, at Marquette and Andy Shea at Yale, who won the 2018 national championship, things that they do from a practice tempo standpoint to get more reps and stay on pace, even though the sport's a little bit different looking than baseball, you know, if you ever get a chance to watch a Tim Corbin practice at Vanderbilt or an Eric Backage practice at Michigan, it's going to look more like a lacrosse hockey football practice than your classic baseball practice, you know? And I think that's been the thing that's been most beneficial. I think for my career in terms of coaching coaches and mentoring coaches is probably, as you know, man, I've had a chance to be around the best of the best. Yep. I've had a chance to be around Augie skip, Tim Corbin, Eric, I mean, last year, Corbin and Backage in the national championship, I've stayed in both of those guys' houses when I was working with their teams, you know, and being able to know what goes on in the inside of those programs, same thing with Coastal Carolina, you know, and Oregon State and TCU and being able to take like parts of all those processes and say, hey, here's what I think the ideal way to do it is, is I know I've been blessed to have that opportunity. I mean, to be able to sit in on those practices, sit in on those team meetings, feel what their culture's like, experience what they're like off the field and how those coaches have the routines and the way they live their life to make them so elite. I feel like there's a part of me that's just a little bit of all those people I've come in contact with. You talked about the MMA guys, you know, and I call it lizard brain. How does fear factor into peak performance? It can do one of two things. It can paralyze you or it can project you to another level. It depends how you want to perceive it. That's why elite mindset is the first of the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery is that do you see fear as something that holds you back or do you see fear as fuel? And I've heard a lot of speakers, this is classic. I'm working with SMU football and I do a whole lesson one day on how fear is fuel. And I show, you know, George St. Pierre talking about being afraid before a fight, but having something to go to. And I show these videos of football players talking about, you know, you have a fear, you don't want to let your teammates down, but what you do is you take that fear and you use it as fuel to focus on your task and your job and to prepare and to make decisions that are not going to let your teammates down. And the next day they're bringing a speaker who says that fear is not real. (laughs) And I'm just, and that's, that's when I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay. I looked at the next day I went to the head coach and I said, look, man, you, if you want to do this at the highest level, you have got to work with me to find out what the people you're bringing in to put in front of your team are going to say. Exactly. Because if we give our team mixed messages, they ain't listen to anybody. You know, the messages need to align. And if you're bringing someone in who's a speaker, who's never been punched in the mouth, who's never lost a national championship, who's never been fired, who's never mentored athletes and had a close personal relationship with these people competing at the highest level and know what's really going on, what are we doing? We're bringing in a speaker. Every speaker has got a message, but messages need to be tied together in a system if they're going to sustain. And I think a lot of it is recognizing it. I love the fact that you've kind of evolved with that, that it's okay to talk about fear. It's okay. Let's, let's recognize it and let's, let's get it out in the open. I think you've always done a great job of that, of, of getting things out in the opening and allowing people to talk about it. And I think it's a way to, to learn and grow from it because you are, you're throwing it out there and it's, you know, the elephant in the room, like it's going to be there. So we need to talk about it if you want to learn from it and be able to move on, because if not, it's going to be debilitating. Yeah. And the biggest thing I've seen too, I think, is that every athlete thinks they're the only one. Exactly. And when George, when George St. Pierre was the first UFC fighter, who's like, man, I, I, I want to work with you because I get this, this self-doubt and this panic and this nervous energy. And I'm afraid before I go walking to a cage and, and I'm, I've been a UFC world champion. I've got nothing to, I don't know what I'm afraid of. It's just, and I'm like, you're afraid because you're going to fight in front of millions of people and you're about, you know, you're, you're going to come back and you're going to have broken bones and you're getting punched in the face. That's probably why you're afraid. Right. And then I said, and oh, by the way, Rich Franklin, Rashad Evans, Vitor Belfort, Michael Bisping, 
all these guys that have been UFC world champions, you know what we talk about? The same stuff. Now, some of them won't admit it publicly, but they will all admit privately that there's an element of fear that comes into what we're doing because they know what the outcome can be. And I think when you talk to coaches in college baseball, I mean, now how many coaches in college baseball are making over a million dollars? There's probably 10 plus. There's an element of fear that comes that if I don't win and I don't keep my job, what am I going to go do? You know, and I think there's so many guys that are quote unquote baseball guys that they're like, if I don't win, I don't have this job. What am I going to go do? You know, and they limit themselves. That's why I don't call myself a baseball guy because I think it limits me. I'm a mental, I'm a mental performance, do anything guy, right? It's like, I'm not a morning guy. Well, I am. I'm not an evening guy, but I am. I'm not an anytime guy, but I am. And I'm not an all the time guy. I am. Answer the bell. We're going to ring it and we're going to go attack and get the job done. It doesn't matter what time because the time is always now. And I think when you think that way, you broaden your horizons to what you can do. And I've met a lot of baseball guys, quote, that have gone into softball because they have daughters or because they got fired and they needed to take a job and they come out of it and go, I'm never going back, man. Coaching women is so much more fun, you know? So it doesn't happen all the time, but for a lot of people, they get that, they get that. And then all of a sudden they go and they go and they compete at a high level. I mean, look at Tim Walton at the university of Florida. The guys won multiple national championships was a baseball guy, Mike Candrea. One more national championships than anybody in Arizona was a baseball guy, but he branched out and developed and grew. And I think when we do that, we have opportunities to impact more lives and leave, leave a bigger impact and imprint on the world. What does being evolved human being mean to you? Working on yourself as hard as you work on your game. And I don't think people do that. I think they want to go work on their swing. They want to work on their, their BP throwing or whatever it is. You know, they want to work on their game, but they don't want to work on themselves. But once you start working on yourself, all aspects of your game improve. Do you feel like that's how you've been able to sustain? You've sustained for a long period of time. You know, there's, there's people that come and go in, in peak performance. You've been able to stay, sustain for an extended period of time. Do you feel like that's helped you more than anything because you, you have evolved? Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the biggest thing, the reason why I can sustain is because I learned from the best in Ken Revisa, to be honest with you, and, 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 and have a system that's unmatched. I mean, it's amazing, Ryan, how once a week, I will get a email, text message, direct message, social media, whatever, from somebody who's doing a master's in sports psychology. And I always ask them, hey, ha, t- tell me, how much time have you been able to see one of, your, one of your professors work with a coach, athlete, or team? And a guy at TCU who spent probably close to 30, 40 grand a, a year, not one time, not one time in two years did he see a professor work with a coach, athlete, or a team. Like, what are we doing in academics? A textbook to read? You're paying 80 grand for a textbook? So, you know, I think the reason why I've been able to sustain is because I got the system that was handed down to me by the, the guy that created the game, and I've refined the system. I mean, my bookshelf over here, those are all mental game of baseball books. If one comes out, I read it, you know? And those are the, those are the people I study. Those are the people that I interview. Those are the people that I want to be around because it's what I want to do. It's not work for me. It's fun, you know? And there's a, there's a great, uh, I don't know if it's a poem or what you would call it, but it's Master in the Art of Living. And if you've never seen it, you got to check it out. Master in the Art of Living basically says, you know, is he working or is he playing? And he said, the master is always doing both. And for me, it's never been work, man. Work is jumping on a plane. But even then, I find ways to make that a game and make that fun. But when I get there and I get around people, man, it's like, I'm just so blessed to be able to do this and do what I love to do every day. And we used the digital training program when I was at Western, you know, when it first came out. And so a lot of this stuff we used with our guys and it did help. Um, and, you know, you talk about guys that are out there getting, getting their masters, you know, with your program, you know, how are there actionable things with the program that allow them to implement it with athletes that they're, they're working with? I mean, it's, that's what the whole program is. So, so the mental performance mastery coaches certification, I walk you through the 10 pillars that we mentioned earlier and how to assess an athlete you're working with, how to then create the growth plan that you're working with. Very similar to like what a strength coach would do. The difference between strength and conditioning and exercise is exercise is you just move. Strength and conditioning is there's an assessment, there's a plan there's a reassessment at the end and we continue that process. And that's the approach I've tried to take with some really good, you know, better new mentorship around creating the mental performance mastery coaches certification is to say, here's how we're going to assess where you're at from a mental performance standpoint. 
And here's the drills we're going to do to develop these skills that you want to focus on. And we're going to continue to move forward in that way. So the certification course is for baseball coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, you know, personal trainers who don't necessarily want to be full-time mental performance coaches, although I believe you could with the system and structure that's in there, but they want to add on to what they're doing. They're a baseball coach who realizes the mental game is important and critical for my program success, but I don't necessarily know what to do. This is what the certification program is for. And then as you go through it, you know, you've invested in me. So I'm going to invest in you. And we have a private Facebook group where there's a lot of question and answer. I do month, you know, I would say monthly, it's probably less frequent than that quarterly calls um, where I answer questions from our coaches. I'm trying to make that monthly. It's, it's part of one of my visions, but I haven't gotten there yet. And, you know, answer the calls and provide support to help people close the gap from where they are to where they want to be. Because I feel like, I feel like that is my duty, but I also feel like that is my mission. And that's what I want to do is I want to help coaches master coaching mental performance so they can impact the lives of other people. And together we touch 10 million lives. It all comes back to the mission, man. My mission, educate, empower, energize other people to be their best in the vision for accomplishing that. It's 500 coaches a year. I'll, I'll take more. Don't worry about that. But 500 coaches a year for 20 years is 10,000. We each touch a thousand lives and together we impact a million. But that's what the certification course is for. And I understand, Ryan, that a lot of coaches may be thinking, well, I don't know if this is for me. Look, that's why I offer 100% money-back guarantee. Get into it. Take the certification course. If you realize when you're going through it in 30 days, this isn't for me, then you get out. And we have people that do that. And I support that because if this is not for you, save your money. But if you think it is for you, make the investment. Let's get this thing going. And then, and then start to use those principles. For example, a guy you got to have on the podcast, Zach Sorensen. Zach was an All-American at Wichita State, played in the big leagues with the Indians and the Angels. Zach just got named Director of Mental Performance with the Atlanta Braves, their entire organization. Zach was one of our first MPM certified coaches. Zach did a master's in sports psychology. He will tell you that he got more out of the first page of our certification program than he did in his entire master's of sports psychology program. And you're a lead as far as developing habits. Somebody out there right now that's not happy with where things are at, just what's the first thing that they can do to help get themselves going in the right direction? Uh, oh, man, there's a lot. So the first thing I would say, a four-step goal formula. Set an intention, schedule when you're going to move on it, measure it, and then reflect and refocus using well, better how. If you don't know what your intention should be, here's what I would say. And I picked this up from Tom Brady, actually, is there's two ways to get closer to where you want to be and who you want to be. One, do more of what's good for you. Two, do less of what's bad. So how do we go about identifying those? Here's what I would, here's what I would say is your first step if you're the person listening to this who wants to create rock-solid habits. Make a list. What do you need to start doing? Because you probably know you're just not doing it. What do you need to stop doing? Because you probably know you're just not doing it. And then what are you doing well that you want to continue? And I would write down the start, stop, and continue. And then I would say, start here because it's season and you probably can. One, have a specific go to bed time and wake up time. And I suggest nine hours. And then once you repay your sleep debt, because we're all walking around in a sleep debt, then you can trim it back to eight or whatever it needs to be. But you'll find your sleep quotient. But it only happens if you go to bed and wake up at the same time, seven days a week. Second thing, eliminate alcohol. I see too many coaches, man, and it's baseball culture. And just because it's baseball culture doesn't mean it's the right for your optimal performance. Right? That's a fallback for guys to, to get rid of stress. You know, it's, it's not a healthy fallback, but that's a lot of fallback for guys to eliminate stress is that. It's not healthy, but that's what a lot of guys use uh, to, to get rid of stress. But, you talk about yeah. high-pressure pre jobs. That's yeah. what a lot of guys are using to get rid of stress. Yeah, well, they think it's getting rid of stress. Yes, you think. <laughs> yep. What I think it's doing is it's masking and it's compounding. And, and trust me, man. I throw them back with the best of them. How the heck do you think I got the 240? And it's not that I'm alcohol free right now, but I manage it where it's not like it used to be, you know, and, and it's, it's one of the things that well, now I just, I don't even want to drink. Why? Because I want to go train. Yep. Because when you exercise, it's a high you cannot buy and you feel better. You look better. You got more energy. You got more influence and impact. So when the game's over, man, Instead of putting, putting down a six-pack, go bounce out six miles on a run or on a bike and watch what happens if you commit to doing that. And I can tell you, man, the first beer I had was nine years old. And I only know that because I was playing Little League Baseball. And I was on an all-star team, and I was the nine, ten-year-old all-star team, and I wasn't the oldest guy on the team. So it's nine years old, okay? 
And I grew up in a small town in Massachusetts. And that continued for a long time until I got to when I first signed up for that Ironman, the Misogi. Right. I remember I, I signed up and I said, holy shit, I don't own a bike. I don't know how to swim. I went for a run. I didn't make it three miles in the Texas heat. And I said, if I'm doing this thing, because as a mental performance coach, I put the pressure on myself that said, I need to cross this finish line or I'm a phony. Yep. I ain't talking the talk. I ain't walking the walk. Right. I'm not doing the things that are hard to get you out of your comfort zone. So I gave up alcohol for four months. Got down, lo and behold, I get, I, I get down to 185, sub 10% body fat. I got more energy. I need less sleep. I'm more productive in all other aspects of my life. And that was one of the key things. And I think growing up in baseball, that'd be something I would suggest to people to try is give yourself a 10-day period. Give yourself a two-month period, however you want to do, and just give it up and see what you think. Replace that habit with something else. It's no different than when you get hungry at night if you're watching TV. Instead of going to grab a bag of Doritos, have something better. Have a better strategy. Go get carrots, celery, something else in the fridge instead of you going to grab the Doritos or whatever your comfort food is. You know what your comfort needs to be? Working on yourself to become the best version of you and chasing excellence. That's what your damn comfort needs to be. And I do feel like it gets easier as you get older. You know, just with experience, I think there's some tricks that you pick up here and there. And I'm the same way. Like my, my sleep routine has gotten much better. You know, at 45, I value sleep much more than I ever did. Water intake, food, um, you know, some intermittent fasting things, uh, just picking up things as you go. Because I'm like you, I wanted to just feel better. Um, yeah. You know, I knew I wasn't where I needed to be at times. I was battling through it. Um, but just, I'm in a way better headspace, uh, and physically feel much better now just because I'm trying to take care of myself as well. Well, in the end, in the underlining root of it all is why, because you want to show up to be the best version of yourself for the people that are exactly. looking to you for leadership, inspiration, and direction. You want to show up to be the best version of you so that you can serve other people and you got to lead yourself first, right? And this whole mentality of being selfless. Well, what is selfless? Selfless isn't that you think less of yourself. It's that you think of yourself less often. Well, the only way you're going to think of yourself less often is if your systems and structures and routines and the processes in your life are so tight that you know what you're going to do and you don't have to waste time thinking about it. And you show up with energy, you show up present, you show up with passion, you show up with a plan. That's why I wear all black. I don't want to make a decision about what I'm going to wear. Don't care. I'm going to wear black, this sweatshirt. That's it. Let's go. Who is that? Bill Gates? Yeah, Bill Gates. Steve Jobs. Yeah, Steve Jobs. Black shirt. Steve Mark Jobs. Gray shirt, you know? And when you research And Zuckerberg, guys, right? too. Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, yeah Gray. Success leaves clues, man. Yes. I mean, when I remember walking into Tim Corbin's office at his house in Nashville. And I walked into his closet. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm not just snooping around the guy's house. Like, <laughs> walked into the closet and he's like, oh, yeah, here's... And it was the most organized thing I've ever seen in my life. Like socks, label one left, one right. And I'm like, this is the guy practiced the national anthem. First person I've ever seen do that with his team. And I'm like, this is a different level of detail that I need to get closer to. If I'm ever going to have the level of influence and impact that I should based off of the training I got from Revisa, but it wasn't a, you know, it's not a complete training. I mean, your training is never complete and you never rise to the occasion. You never rise to the occasion. You always sink to your levels of training and habits. So the more people I was able to get around, I picked up different habits and different ideas and parts of the system from everybody. And that's ultimately what's morphed into the 10 pillars of mental performance mastery. There's a lot of strategy in a lot of life habits and processes from top college baseball coaches that have been filtered into that. It's just not putting a baseball context. It's putting a coaching context of how you can use it to coach anybody. Where can people find you if they, they want to get a hold of you? BrianCain.com, B-R-I-N-C-A-I-N.com would be a place they can get me on social media, Instagram and Twitter mostly, also Facebook, Brian Cain Peak. And then the place that I want your coaches to go to that are listening to this is go to BrianCain.com slash baseball. I did a 60-minute masterclass. And, you know, the, the challenge with doing podcasts and live webinars is you get excited, you go down a tangent, you go down a path, you start talking where when you're doing it on a recorded video, like I can, it, it take me, it took me six hours to do a 60 minute video because I'm like, didn't get that right. Got to rewind this and play this. So I got a 60 minute video that is at briancanecom slash baseball. It's a masterclass where I walk you through the 10 pillars for baseball, show examples from top college programs. There's 
there's downloads you can get and use. And then I make available some of the top bonuses like interviews with Skip Burtman, Augie Garrido, and the top coaches, my baseball books and mental imagery audio is a success checklist, right? There's resources that these coaches can then go there and get. And they, if they like that baseball masterclass, then I would suggest, Hey, take the next step and join my mental performance mastery coaches certification course. I know your schedule's tight, so I know you got to get on to the next thing, but I love you, my friend, and I appreciate you coming on with us. Rhino, man, always a privilege. And anything I can ever do for you, anything I can do for your membership with the ABCA, man, it's been, uh, you know, it's been a humbling experience to be on that stage twice. And I remember, you know, we talk about vision boards and I remember us having this conversation probably back in Iowa, right? When the secret came out, probably back in like 2007, you know, I made a vision board where I first heard of it in the secret and I put on there ABCA. And I've had the privilege to, to speak there twice. And actually coach Slosnagel at TCU, who I think is running it in 2022 in Chicago, asked me to, to, to speak there, which I'm not sure if I'm supposed to mention that or not, but, um, you know, so it's, it's been an honor and a privilege to be on your podcast and to serve the ABCA and, you know, anything I can do for coaches, man, please, please let me know. Because I think the, I think the role and responsibility of coach is the most important role and responsibility there is there in the, in the country and in the world, because you are literally molding and influencing the lives of young people. And that's the future of our world. And as we know right now, man, our world is not, not in the ideal safe place it needs to be in for, for us to flourish for a long time. We've got to get, you know, better leaders, better communicators, and people with more mental toughness out there in the world. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. I knew that the energy level was going to be through the roof uh, for Brian and I. Uh, Kaner and I have always fed off each other's energy, and I knew it was going to be an outstanding hour. It felt like it was about 10 minutes uh, going through everything. If you want to dive into Kaner's master's class, go to briankanecom slash baseball. He also referenced the Way of Life app and Nolan Kaner as well as I do. It's probably definitely something that you want to dive into uh, with the app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the ABCA. Thanks for tuning in. And remember to leave it better for those behind you. Oh, hey.